a beautiful song? And we enter into worship. That's what we're talking about, bowing down, opening our lives, opening our hearts, um, being prepared to hear from God. And that's an important part of what we're doing here. We're not just here to uh, be entertained, hear a few good stories, and you know, get to see everybody. It's nice to do those things, but we're here to worship God. Would you pray with me as we begin this morning? Heavenly Father, we bow down before you. We open our hearts and we worship you. We listen to hear your voice. You are the God of all the ages and we expect to hear from you. We pray that you will open your word to us and reveal yourself in it and in us. We pray in Jesus' holy name. Amen. Well, we are doing a sermon series called That Sermon, about the Sermon on the Mount, as we find it in chapters 5 through 7. Why do you do a series like this? I mean, this is a, a lengthy series. It goes over uh, three chapters of a book over a period of time. So why do you do a series like this? Well, part of it is because we, we get a sense of the will of God in the way that he revealed it. We hear it in context. Uh, you know, we do sometimes learn topically, and, and that's good for addressing uh, issues, and we need to do that. But going chapter by chapter and sometimes going verse by verse through a book of the Bible, um, it keeps us honest. And it helps us not to skip over the things that, well, you know, we kind of cheat sometimes, right? We, we come along, oh, well, that makes me uncomfortable. I just kind of go to the next the next chapter, or I'll skip over that little set of verses. But when you're doing it this way, you can't really do that. You can't avoid those things. And you know, as we look at the Sermon on the Mount, we find that sometimes Jesus encourages us as he teaches us about who he is and who the Father is, and sometimes he confronts us, and he helps us to look at ourselves and see who we are and encourages us to make changes. Today we're talking about prayer and fasting, and it's, it's actually a pickup of where we were last week. Uh, you might remember that uh, last week Jesus was talking about not putting our righteousness on display in a way that brings attention to ourselves. He says that when you're giving to the poor, for example, you should do it in secret, not make a big show of it, putting your benevolence on display, because really our, our giving is, is not just to those poor people who need the money or the food or the help, are giving in all ways is actually to God himself, right? And so it's God who needs to be on display and not us. Now, let's see what he says here about prayer this morning and about how we fast as well. Please open your Bible to Matthew chapter 6. And I'm going to try and find my little clicker here. And uh, we're starting in verse 5 this morning. Matthew 6, verse 5 through 16. And when you pray, do not be like hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by others. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But when you pray, go into your room, close the door, and pray to your Father who is unseen. Then your Father, who sees what is done in secret, will reward you. And when you pray, do not keep on babbling like pagans, for they think they will be heard because of their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask. 
This, then, is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our sins or our debts as we have also forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For if you forgive other people when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their sins, your Father will not forgive your sin. When you fast, do not look somber as the hypocrites do, for they disfigure their faces to show others that they are fasting. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But when you fast, put oil on your head and wash your face so that it will not be obvious to others that you're fasting, but only to your Father who is unseen. And your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. Now, we, we kind of could have given this a different name this morning. We could have called it How Not to Be a Hypocrite, because uh, that's really what Jesus is talking about here, how not to be a hypocrite. The word hypocrite is a word he uses here and in other passages, and, and it's a word that's associated with acting. It's, it's about putting on a mask. It's on, about putting on another persona. It's about dressing up and trying to be somebody or pretending to be something that you are not. Uh, remember that this whole section ties back to the very first verse in the chapter, and it says, be careful not to practice your righteousness in front of others to be seen by them. If you do, you will have no reward from your Father in heaven. So everything ties, everything we're going to say today ties back to this one verse at the beginning. You know, it's kind of like putting on a religious mask, making ourselves look like we're a big deal religiously in the righteousness department. But as followers of Christ, we know that we have no righteousness of our own. We didn't create it. We didn't create it. Romans 3.10 says there is no one righteous, not even one, before Christ, without Christ. The only righteousness, the only right standing before God that we have is because of Jesus dying for our sins on the cross. Amen? And he sacrificed himself so that we could be forgiven and have eternal life after death. Jesus gives us the righteousness that he has, not what we've earned. There's a fancy word for that, imputed. He's imputed righteousness to us. He's given us what, what we don't normally have on our own. And we come to Jesus and our sins are forgiven and it's as if our sin never existed before. And it's as if we've been righteous all along, which we haven't, we know that. But, but that's the kind of standing that God gives us through the cross of Christ. We're set free, but that righteousness is given. It's not something we earn. So Jesus says, don't put on a show with that gift of righteousness that I've given you. I didn't give it to you to draw attention to you. I gave it to you to draw attention to me, he says. And so he says, uh, he just starts talking here about not being a hypocrite. It's picking up from where he was when he talked about giving to the poor. And, and he talks about 
not being a hypocrite in three different ways here. He talks about it in prayer, he talks about it in forgiveness, and he talks about it in fasting. Prayer, forgiveness, and fasting. Well, first he talks about how not to pray. And when you pray, do not be like the hypocrites standing, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by others. Truly, I tell you that they have received their reward in full. Do you like to pray? Do you honestly like to pray? Some folks do and some folks don't. Often that's an indication of where we're gifted and where we're not gifted, right? Sometimes there are some who just lapse into prayer because that's their, that's their second nature. It's like breathing to them and they just begin to pray. And then there are others who, you know, we, we have to sort of work at it. We have to work our way into it and discipline ourselves to do it. But the Jews loved to pray. And, and even in Jesus' day, there were... There was just a lot of prayer going on in the common person on the street. Prayer was a way of life. It was uh, the start of every day, and it was the end of every day, and it was at every meal, and these times of worship in the temple, and times of worship in their home. It was in, infused into conversations that happened all the way through the day. And they were aware of the power of prayer. And they were very aware of who made prayer powerful. I found a rabbinical saying that I want to share with you this morning. I've never seen it before. I, I just love it, and I love the, the sentiment of it and what it signifies. It says, uh, this is an old rabbinical saying. No, nobody knows who said it, but it says, He who prays within his house surrounds it with a wall that is stronger than iron. I love that. I think that's an awesome saying. Uh, they, there's a couple of things that it communicates. One, it, that just the fact of praying within your home, you know, spending that time of praying within your home. But, but there's this aspect of spiritual warfare. There's this aspect that when we're doing this, when we're focused on God, that it spreads out. There's this surround that happens. It's like God coming and putting his arms around you, saying, I love you, I've got your back. I'm watching over you. Prayer isn't only the center of the home. Prayer functions in so many other different ways. But, you know, in Israel, there were some problems with prayer, especially in Jesus' day, and one was the way it was done. I don't know if you're aware of this, but every good Jew recited certain prayers at least twice a day, and they had to be before nine in the morning and before nine in the evening. One of those prayers was uh, from Deuteronomy 6, 4, and 5. I'll put that up here so you can see it. Hear, O Israel, the Lord God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength. That part ought to be familiar to you, right? And this prayer was recited every day, before nine in the morning and before nine in the evening. They also recited another prayer, a very long prayer, called the, uh, the Sheminei Esrei. And uh, it was just a part of daily life. Well, the Pharisees um, 
legalistic guys as they were, and some of the teachers of the law and the scribes, uh, they made little rules to go around these prayers to make sure that you did them and you did them right and you did them at the right time of the day. So that's where the nine o'clock comes from. And uh, they had a rule that said if you were out on the street and it was about to become nine o'clock and you hadn't done the prayer yet, you should just stop where you were on the street corner or on the street and you should recite the prayer out loud. Well, the passage suggests that there were some who were doing that on purpose, who just happened to be caught outside the house at the wrong time in such a place and in such a way that they would be seen doing their prayers. And look at how righteous I am doing my prayers on the street corner. I'm a good Jew. I'm doing what I'm supposed to do. Well, Jesus uh, doesn't seem to be pretty happy with that. He tells the disciples, he says, but when you pray, go into your room. King James says, into your closet. Close the door and pray to your father who is unseen. And then your father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. You don't have to always hide your prayer away, but, but you don't make a show of it either, right? Our prayer is communication between God and us. We're talking, we're listening, he's talking, he's listening. There's this real communication that's going on. It's one of the reasons I wanted to stop you before we prayed this morning. I didn't want you just to go through the motions. I wanted you to stop and think about where you're at and, and what's going on. And, and, and literally just often here on Sunday mornings, right there where I'm sitting and before I get up here to preach, I, I'm, I'm talking to God and I'm saying, Lord, I did a lousy job writing this. I, I'm just convinced of it. <laughs> Lord, you take it. You speak your words. I don't want my words to get in the way. Don't let my sin get in the way of your people hearing your word. Uh, Speak through me if you choose. And speak whatever it is that you want to say. You know, I'm, I'm surrendering. I'm giving it to him because it belongs to him. It doesn't belong to me. And... This is the kind of sentiment that he's talking about here as we're talking about going into prayer secretly and privately. Uh, from a couple of friends at college who took the King James part real literally and they actually went into their closets in their room to pray. Um, I'm not sure that's what the intention was, but maybe that was a good quiet place to pray unseen. College life is often very busy. But you don't have to hide your prayer, but you do. You do have to have that engagement with God. Remember, we're talking with God. And then by the way, he says, (laughs) when you're praying, you don't keep babbling like pagans, for they think they'll be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need even before you ask him. They were so steeped in prayer that it became extremely formalized. And these legalists, they really worked at making that happen. So besides the twice-a-day prayers in the morning and at night, uh, Barclay says there were prayers for lighting the fire. There were prayers for seeing lightning. There were prayers for seeing a new moon in the sky, seeing a comet fall, 
seeing rain, seeing the sea, seeing lakes and rivers, receiving good news had its own prayer, and even a prayer before you use new furniture. That's a lot of prayers. Now, on the one hand, there's something really cool about that. It's, it's bathing everything in prayer, right? There's, there's something really cool about that. Um, but at the same time, you could see how that could become weary after a while. That could become burdensome. That could become, you know, meaningless after a while. It could be just sort of, we're going through the motions. We're repeating the right prayer at the right time with the right intentions. But maybe... Maybe we're not engaging our heart and talking to the right person. Maybe that's not happening. Maybe we're just going through the motions. Have you ever found yourself mumbling, you know, the Lord's Prayer comes at a certain point and, and the Lord's Prayer is said and everybody joins in and they know it by memory? Have you ever found yourself mumbling the Lord's Prayer and just kind of going through the motions? Have you ever done that? I've caught myself doing that lots of times. You know, and I, and I stop and I try to really engage with what's being said and what I'm saying and with what the intention of what, being, what is being said um, is going on. You know, otherwise, we're just using the prayer as a kind of magic incantation. We repeat it thinking that something special is going to happen just because we repeat this prayer over and over again. But when you're praying, you're engaging God. You're talking with God, and we need to treat it that way when we pray. And of course, he says, don't make a show of prayer, and, and don't go on and on with a lot of words without engaging your brain and your heart. Remember, you're talking to God. The words don't have to be fancy. Just talk to him. So Jesus says, you know, never mind all that nonsense. He says, here's how you really should be praying. And he gives them a pattern for prayer that we know really familiar, that's really familiar to us. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name, or holy is your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts or our sins or our trespasses, depending on which version you learned as we have also forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Now, in many translations, it just says deliver us from evil, but the Greek translation actually specifically says, makes it personal. Deliver us from the devil. Deliver us from the evil one. It's a very simple prayer, and it recognizes God for who he is, and it acknowledges him, and it prays for God's kingdom to be fulfilled right here on earth. And it asks for things that we don't have, like food and other needs, the basic stuff. And it recognizes our dependence on God for a lot of things, including we're dependent on him for protection from Satan and the demonic realm that's trying to attack and undermine the things that we do. And, and we're praying that he will deliver us from that. You know, this prayer trusts us or, or, or trusts God to keep us strong when we're tempted. And at the same time, um, it offers forgiveness, the same kind of forgiveness we expect from other people. You ever notice that, that often we, we expect everybody else to forgive us instantly, but then often we hang on to that bitterness or that anger or unforgiveness and we don't share it. We don't give it out. We withhold it. 
Forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. Forgive our trespasses as we forgive those who have trespassed against us. Well, you know, this prayer isn't a comprehensive list of everything you should pray. Um, Even the disciples, they don't just pray these words, do they? You see lots of examples of their prayers as you continue through the New Testament. But this is a great pattern that we can follow. And it keeps our focus on God where it should be. And it helps us to acknowledge our need for him all the time. Don't be like the hypocrites. Pray like this, simple, plain, powerful, because it is powerful. Well, growing out of the part that he talks about forgiveness, he, he moves on and, and he hits forgiveness sort of straight on. He goes right at it. Um, before we were talking about being a hypocrite for doing something hypocritical, here it's, it's actually the opposite of that. It's for not doing something that we should be doing as followers of Christ, and that's offering forgiveness. For if you forgive other people when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. Boy, that's scary. That's one of those I might have skipped over. (laughs) That's one of those that makes me pretty uncomfortable. You know? What do you mean if I don't forgive Sally or Joey or Freddie that the Father won't forgive my sin? What do you mean by that? I think it means exactly what it says. (laughs) When we withhold our forgiveness, there is some way in which the Father withholds forgiveness for us. Now, we know that we are forgiven for our sins of the past, the sins that were put to death on the cross, so it has to be referring to the sin that we continue to commit. Even though we are forgiven, even though we're saved, even though we're sanctified, we're not perfect, and we do continue to sin, don't we? And it says, the Father will not forgive our sin if we do not forgive the sin of others. I've seen a lot of people, actually I've heard a lot of people say over the years that that our attitude towards others is really indicative of our attitude towards God. It reflects our attitude towards God. And, And I think it's very hard for us to say with real honesty that we're open to God with following him and having him work in our lives and, and to be completely surrendered to him, and then we don't forgive. That's incompatible with the rest of what we've just said. Forgiveness and restoration are the goals of the gospel, but not just for us, for the people around us. And God intends to not only pour out his grace on you and me, but pour out his grace on humanity through you and me towards the people around us. We're to be grace givers. We're to be forgivers. We're to be restorers. I know this is hard stuff. You know, I I also know there's a vast difference between forgiving someone and forgetting that something ever happened. But in Christ, healing can come, right? 
Okay. So don't be a hypocrite in the way you pray. Don't be a hypocrite by withholding forgiveness. And third, don't be a hypocrite by the way that you fast. When you fast, do not look somber as the hypocrites do, for they disfigure their faces to show others that they are fasting. Truly, I tell you that they have received their reward in full. But when you fast... Put oil on your head and wash your face so that it will not be obvious to others that you're fasting, but only to your Father who is unseen. And your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. Praying and fasting often go together. You'll find that all through Scripture. They're, they're good companions. Jesus assumes that people do fast. He says, when you fast. He doesn't say, hey, if you decide to try this fasting thing... You know, the eternal soup diet or whatever. You know, we hear all these goofy books today that talk about fasting and all these unusual, you know, it's the, the uh, super fast of juice dieting cleanse or something. I don't know. We, we have all these weird things. It's giving something up voluntarily to have a time of meditation and drawing near to God. It's about... An exercise of sacrifice, of something as a way of disciplining our focus on God. Most often people give up eating for part of a day or for a day or so, and they spend that time in the scripture and in prayer, and, and they become really focused on God. You ever given anything up for Lent? Yeah. Anybody? Do a Lent, we call that a Lenten fast, you know? And that's a kind of fasting, you know, where we take one thing and we decide not to indulge in that one thing for that period of time. I, I always give up Brussels sprouts. <laughs> you know, it's, it's, it's a sacrifice. <laughs> not a sacrifice. It's not a sacrifice when you're giving up something you don't enjoy or that you don't regularly participate in, as in eating the darn little green things, or... You know, it's, it's, that's just not a sacrifice that, that means something. It's giving up something in fasting, something that is of cost to you. Something that costs you. That's the sacrifice part. For some of you, giving up chocolate might be a major sacrifice, right? Or giving up the internet for a week or two or a month. Or giving up watching your favorite sports team. For a period of time. Now there's a killer. That's between you and God. It's a private matter. It's whatever you decide to give up in, in, in that time, whether it's food or whether it's, you know, that kind of a fast, it's giving it up for God, for focusing on God. There's something about deprivation, about depriving ourselves of some normal pleasure that allows us to focus a little more clearly on God. I can't tell you why it works like that, but I just know that it does. Fasting is a spiritual exercise. It draws you closer to Jesus, and it benefits your spiritual life and, and often brings spiritual growth. It can really make a big difference in your life, and it can deepen your prayer with God. I've known a lot of people who've struggled with a number of things for many years, and then 
when they began praying and fasting about that issue, found major victory and deliverance. You know, Jesus even said to his disciples at one point that certain kinds of demonic element do not come out except when the prayer has fasting along with it. So fasting can be pretty important. And because fasting is a spiritual practice, in Jesus' day, a lot of people faked it. Uh, Maybe they didn't wash their face or brush their hair. They wanted to look like this happened because I was fasting. I'm so spiritual, (laughs) you know? And Jesus says, the only blessing you're going to get from that nonsense is whatever people around you give you. That's not blessing that's coming from the Lord. He says, fasting is between you and God. Wash your face. Do something with that hair. Keep your fasting private because God will bless you. Just like giving to the poor, we don't draw attention to ourselves. When we shine our light and we stick it on a lampstand so that others can see the good works, the The light is not supposed to shine back on us. The light is supposed to light the way for others to see the path to go to Jesus. Amen? Let's finish by praying the Lord's Prayer together. I want to use the traditional words this morning. I'm fond of probably any of the versions of the Lord's Prayer that we might pray, but but, uh, most of us from a young age, memorize the traditional words. Uh, it's kind of like, you know, when we teach somebody in another culture the, the Bible, uh, the words of God, we, we put it in what we call their heart language, right? The language that they, they know and love. And so I want to do the Lord's Prayer in our heart language this morning. Um, and if you don't know it this way, I'm going to put the words up here on the screen so we can do that together. Let's pray together. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Let's continue our worship.